What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here. Welcome to Live from Nerdville. Today, my guest is alligator recording artist Curtis Soldago. And you know Curtis from his wonderful works. He's got 10 albums out, 15 albums out. A wonderful singer, a great storyteller. And what you may not know is that John Belushi's character in the Blues Brothers was based on him. So check it out my hour-long conversation with a true legend and one of the great voices of the blues. Hey, Curtis. How you doing, man? Hi, Joe. Long time no see. I know. It's been years. Like, yeah. I got to get out of the house more, yeah. you know? <laughs> I think you do. Um, when was the last time I saw you? I'm trying to think back. Colorado. And was you, it did a, you did a, an acoustic set. Right. And uh, it was very good. And we talked about... Uh, Tom Dowd and you were very nice and like stopped you know because you just got off stage and I kind of pounced right. on you and said well, and you we talked for about 15 minutes and I was you know I got it was cool to talk to you and yeah. you haven't done an acoustic record yet I don't think we did a couple of acoustic adventures we went to Vienna oh. and, uh, and we did one at Carnegie Hall which was great but you know I mean I'm an electric guitar player yeah. it, it is it is a it is such a different discipline, you know, and, you know, and you don't realize how many self-indulgent guitar solos you write into the music for yourself until <laughs> you do an acoustic show. Yeah. Yeah. That was beautiful. Uh, so are we started? And are yeah, we, we're, we, we just get right uh, into it. So it's well, I, there's a few things I need to get off my chest. And one is, uh, um, so I went into the YouTube hole, the yeah. rabbit hole, Right. And, you know, I go through all my peers and friends and there you are with Eric Gales. Yes. And uh, uh, and you're doing a for lack of a better term, because the word battle, but it's just like you guys are exchanging back and forth. Right. And I think that is one. I mean, I was literally and I've seen them all and played on stage. I got a story for you. And, and I just went, oh, that was amazing. And you know, I mean, the intensity just went, mm -mm, and, and uh, you can't, I don't know, you guys just like, I just had to shake my head and go, yeah, it was very entertaining. It was like a good meal to me, you know? Well, well thank you. You know, you know, we, Eric and I have known each other for a long time and yeah. I, I met him, we were, we were both kids in the nineties. Wow. And, you know, we've, you know, we've kind of kept in touch over the years and, um, He's been on a couple of our, our cruises and we finally, I said, Eric, do you want, do you want to give the fans what they've been wanting to hear from us for 25 years? I said, <laughs> I have this song, John, the ballad of John Henry. It, it just goes forever in E during the solo section. Let's just, let's just, let's just go for it. And we did. And it was, it was like super fun. And, and, you know, I have so much respect for him as a musician, as a player and as a person you know right. that that right. it shows on stage that you know like it's like we're we're now both in our 40s and we were always looked at as like the young kids right but now right. we're not that anymore and there's young yeah. kids you know so it it, it changes you know it's it, the times change well you know i mean it was contemporary it was blistering and it, sometimes i don't like the guitar wants to kill my guitar wants to kill your family thing right. but it was dead on <laughs> i mean you guys went and it was in, and you know you don't know what eric's gonna do because he'll turn right when you think it's left it's yeah. not linear and you like that i didn't know i was going that is one of the best guitar battles i've ever seen I and 
Yeah, uh, there used to be a club in uh, it. Re the one I want to bring up is there used to be a club in Texas called Rockefellers. You familiar in Houston. with it? In Houston, yeah. yes. And so the owner of the club used to tape every show that went on there, and everybody and their dog played from Lightning Hopkins to right. so the BB, Albert, Freddie, uh, everything. And I was watching this film, and he gave it to me, and it's Albert King and Albert Collins right. doing a guitar battle. Yeah. And he gave me the VHS, said, take it right. with And I don't know if any, I gave it to a guy named, uh, um, he's one of the guys that teach Delta guitar playing. I can't remember his name. I did have it. I forgot it. Anyhow. I thought I think I'm the only guy that has it besides uh, Stefan. What's his name? He's like teaches Delta style, John, right. uh, Robert Johnson stuff for hopes that he would send me a tape. But anyhow, Albert Collins comes out and uh, the audience is going nuts. And as they're playing, Collins is, you know, you know, but that and did it. Yeah. You know, like this. Yeah. And Albert takes his hat like you're wearing and turns it sideways. Turns <laughs> his hat sideways. And, you know, like this. And they're going back and forth. And, and Albert's just kind of looking. He always does that double take, like, you know, and he wears a strap over one side, kind of looks at him. And, yeah. and as it's going on, the audience, I mean, Albert is killing it. And then Albert King goes over. Collins is killing it. And King goes over and you know what kind of amp he used to have? I'm not a good... He, he used to... Probably, if this was in the late 70s, early 80s, this would have been... He was in his acoustic amp. He used to use those yeah. big acoustic... And it had a built-in phaser, which yeah. was part of, part of his... That, <laughs> that later part of his career. It's like, where's that phasing coming? It was in the amp. It was like right. a little button you just pushed. Oh, you are... This is perfect. So yeah. he's got that, and he walks up to it and grabs the screen and goes pop, pop, and puts the screen to one side. Right. The audience goes crazy. And then he's a scream. You know, it's just like audience goes crazy. I'm going crazy. Your thing with Eric is is right with that to me. Oh, thanks. I, to me, it's, the, it's thanks. a true guitar battle. It's not a yeah. battle. It's respect. But it's like beautiful. If I can find it, I'll try and get it to you. I had Albert Collins when I was when I was a kid. He invited me up to sit in with his band. Debbie Davies was still in the band. Right. And this was probably, this was primetime Alligator Records era. Um, right. This was 89, 90. And um, I was 13, you know. And what I did notice about all those masters is like, they showed you no mercy. If, if, if they, if they want to, if, they, if, if they, they deemed you worthy of sharing the stage with them, look out because albert just sat there with that telly and that that quad reverb stared me down and made me feel much smaller than i was which i wasn't fully grown yet but right. i always i always remember that i was like i was like and it wasn't like i'm going to show you kid he's like it was like i'm going to show you what you need to do and what you need to be to be on the big stage you know and it was it was it was a great lesson it was a great yeah. lesson what guys. a beautiful man. We used to tour with him when I was with Robert Cray. Right. And yeah. um, uh, one time in a stage, this this is a memory for us. So 
he called me problem child. <laughs> and the story for this, so, but I want to, so we're backstage at a place called, uh, Woodsman called the Wow Hall in Eugene, Oregon. Right. I have two little stories that might be interesting to you yeah. and our listeners, your listeners. And uh, so I'm backstage and it's, um, uh, who, there was a National Steel guitar backstage. And we were with Sonny Terry and Brown and McGee, Albert Collins, and I don't know who was playing, something like Mike Russo or something. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, and uh, Albert picked up this national steel guitar and started you know these two fingers just right. started hey curtis and it was just him and me and he was just and he goes oh man i'm texas you know lightning hopkins lightning and he's played like lightning hopkins a la albert collins and right. that my hair stood up i'd never yeah. you know it was completely different completely and he popping and banging and stuff you're a guitar person yeah you know i just like watch i like all the instruments i'm a guitar nerd as you i don't know the stats and this and that except that and it's just man he just killed it on this national steel and i was lucky to be there another time he would take these long walks you know and play a song because he had a different band a different band a different band as he traveled he'd pick up pickup bands and really took a shining to Robert Cray and us because we, I'd like to think, got him to shorten his songs and play the classics, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's play Snow Cone, let's play Don't Lose Your Cool, let's play these songs. And he he said, let's go on the road. Long story longer, um, he would play with these pickup bands and... um, the band that I was in before I joined Robert was called the Nighthawks, not to be confused with Washington, D.C. This is Oregon. Right. And there was a billion bands called the Nighthawks. And so he started to go on this long walk with this song called Sex Machine, not James Brown, but the bump, 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 da, da, do, 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 you know. And right. he'd, he'd play for 45 minutes. Yeah. Louder. Everything's up on 12, you know. And all of a sudden, this jacuzzi sounded like a jacuzzi just came out of the speakers. It's just, it's just like audience is looking. It's packed in there. We're looking at each other. It just went on. Here's what happened. Albert is out in the street in Eugene, and he starts to thumb ride. And then a hippie comes up to him who plays flute. And right. somebody ran back in, and Albert started playing, took the guy's flute, and handed him his guitar. All right. <laughs> so, and we are uh, down the street, around the corner, following, and we're hearing this guy who can't play play guitar. It's just like, yeah. what? Albert's playing fruits. You know, some 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 strangers playing his guitar. Oh, it was horrible, but it was hilarious. That's all. That's just. That's he was the, the showman. You know. That was the thing I, I noticed, and and you know, we're we're some of the lucky ones. And I started my career about 1988. And I was lucky enough to meet a lot of my heroes before they had passed. Right. You know? And I got to see some really great gigs. I also got to see some really ramshackle gigs or like, you know, like you said, pickup bands. And right. you know, sometimes they just didn't care. Or, you know, the, the shtick would overpower the, 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 the music, you know I mean? Right, it's like, right. We got four songs in two hours, you know, they're all, they're all <laughs> yeah. 35 minutes. Right. 
you know, everybody gets a solo, including the bass player, every song, you know. Right. <laughs> but it was like, but when it when it really connected, it was like it was life changing. And, and it was um, like, you know, for me, it's like I, I, I you know, I miss those gigs in clubs when it when it didn't you know, when there was no phones, there was no cameras. Maybe there was a VHS camera that got snuck in. But it was just, you just left it on the stage, you know? Now it's yeah. everything is filmed and it's judged and it's whatever. You Thank know? you so much. Thank you. That is, I, 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 I if it's okay, man, talking to you was, is, this is definitely Nerdville because I could go on. Um, right, right. You know, uh, all the guys, I was uh, living in Eugene, which had the University of Oregon, and there was this girl there, woman, whose name was Sue Norquist, and she ran the cultural forum in university, and she was very hip. Right. And she brought all, she brought, I saw Sunhouse, Mississippi, John Hurt, uh, Johnny Shines. Yeah. Was incredible. I mean, you hear a guy sing and play like that. It's just, you know, all of these people, and um, big Joe Williams, the nine-string guitar player. Right. So I got to see a lot of those people, and that's BB King came through with that. Uh, have you ever seen that Ralph Gleason sh uh, YouTube thing of BB still with the process and just an organ, Sonny yes. Freeman? Yeah, that band. I saw that band at the MacArthur Court when I was seventeen, and it was, I mean, you know, the microphone is an arm's length away. Yeah, his voice is huge. Yeah, yeah, it's just huge. God, you're just sitting there. You know who? You know. You know, I, I was the um, culture. Sue Norquist calls me up and goes, "I've told the story only a couple of times." Sue Nook says, "We're going to do a show with Otis Rush and Mike Bloomfield." I right. want you to back up Otis Rush. Would the Nighthawks like to? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and so, uh, go pick him up on such and such a day. We're playing on this. Da 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 da. He'll be at the bus station because he's he's scared to fly. Right. And so it's Eugene, Oregon, which has about a hundred thousand people or less back in in nineteen seventies. And I go to the bus depot, and he's not hard to to pick out. He's right. about six one. Yeah. My, mile high pumping yeah. for a long leather jacket right it's Otis I, Rush. yeah, yeah. And i come up and go are you otis rush and um yes and we pile in my car and we drive to the apartment i was living with a guy named richard cousins who's the bass player for robert cray okay. we were we were uh running partners and we had a condo mm -hmm. bachelor pad so Richard's either staying with his girlfriend or he's out on the road with Robert. And Otis Russ stays at my house, at our apartment, excuse me. And uh, he was very gracious and very sweet. And here's the punchline. He just goes, you know, he's been on a bus from Chicago to Eugene, Oregon. And it's right. like, you know, he goes, Curtis, you know, I just need my rest. Could you, I'm hungry. Can I, I'm like... I'm not worthy. What do you? What can I do? Go get me a Salisbury steak if you can. Is there a restaurant around? And then he hands me like seventy dollars. Right. And I go. It's not going to cost you. He goes. Keep that. Go have yourself a good time. In other words, get away from me. Right. <laughs> go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. And, and it's like I doesn't need. No, no, no. Just take it. 
go have a drink or something. You know, right. I'm about 23. And so I go get him a, a, a takeout of Salisbury steak, mashed potatoes and some vegetables. And I bring it back to him. And, and this is what happened the following morning. You might like this. So <laughs> I come back and the apartment is like there's a room, a hallway and a room on each end and then a staircase that goes down to a it's a small apartment yeah. a kitchen living room combined a staircase and two bedrooms one's richard's one's mine and so i gather my laundry my t-shirts and stuff and i open up the door and i go down and and albert comes across the hallway and comes up and as i'm going downstairs he, i'm looking up at the banister at him he goes hey, curtis uh are you doing laundry? I go, yeah. And I turn around and start coming. He goes, no, no, no. Are you, do you have any laundry soap? And I go, yeah, look, I'll do your laundry. I mean, you got a laundry, man? Let me stop. You know, no, I just want to know, do you have any Tide? I go, yeah, there's there's laundry soap in the laundry room. It's outside. Look, grab your laundry. He goes, no, man, just, you know, just I'm going to take a, a bath. I go, you're going to take a bath in Tide? And he goes, yeah, it feels good to my skin. Right. And I turned around and looked down the stairs. And I'm not lying. I'm not trying to be funny, even though it's kind of funny. I looked down and I got vertigo. Right. I'm like, it's like faces. You don't belong here. You shouldn't yeah. be doing the right. blues. You are white from Eugene, Oregon. Right. From the west side of Chicago, for Christ's sakes. On and on. I just like going, oh, my God, you're going to take a bath. And he goes, you know, so I go down. And I do my laundry, and I put laundry soap in my hands, and you put the quarters in. Yeah. You know, the water's coming out, and I put, right. sure enough, the crystal enzymes of Tide and everything just turn into kind of like a soapy yeah. liquid soap. Yeah. And I went, oh, I get it. But it just made me realize, I was like, I have no right doing this stuff. <laughs> you know, it just like, I had to do like, what he... You know, they like, you know, chicken feet or something. Or, you know, I'm sitting yeah. here thinking these stupid thoughts and stuff. But it really snapped me around. Later on, I asked him. And I showed him the record. I said, I really like the song, um, Jump Sister Bessie. He goes, I don't really like that. Well, Walter Horton's on it. He goes, that's not Walter Horton. That's little Walter. That's little Walter? That's like. You know, and it doesn't, it says Walter Horton, but you know, right. he goes, no, it's Walter Horton, that's wrong. Well, you know, this is very informative. And it's just like, you know, I don't, he didn't really, so I go, look, do, I kind of ask him, and I can't remember how, but basically, do I have a right to play this music? I mean, does it, maybe I said, like, make you, you know, he goes, man, guitar doesn't know the color of your skin. Yeah. Guitar doesn't give a shit. Right. You know? yeah, absolutely. It's up here. So anyhow, there's my, you know, one of the things like, you know, I mean, being from Eugene, Oregon, like I, I, I come from a, a town called Utica, New York, which is kind of the same population, a little less than a hundred thousand right. blue collar town. And I played Eugene a bunch. And, and, and every time we go to Eugene, I go, this is kind of the Pacific Northwest version of where I grew up. And wow. Okay. But I, what, I, what I did notice about it, is the fact that like in my hometown all these great musicians would come through like there were there were b and c markets you know and a gig is a gig is a gig but you would you know what you know i remember you know 
you know, just, just pickup dates, you know, they would come through and, and, and they'd play Tiny's jazz club, or if they, if they had a little bit more of a name, they'd play this, they play a couple of clubs in, in the town. And it was like, it was a circuit and, and it was a, it was a really, really, you know, the, the, your formative years were, you, you were blessed to see these guys. I mean, I'm, I'm, I still have the poster of when I first met Buddy Guy, I was 13 years old. It was at the haunt in Ithaca, New York. Right. And, he was doing two shows. The place maybe held 200 people per show. And right. he just walked up, had, he had his own band, but it was just like, he just, they had no set list, no nothing, no plan other than where's, 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 where's the whiskey you promised me. And they would go out and it was brilliant, you know? And it was like, it was, it was, it was just, the, you know, and, and the whole thing was, you know, every, every one of my heroes that I met from BB King to Willie Dixon, buddy guy, it was never that that I I never got the vibe from them that, that they thought I shouldn't be playing blues music. BB especially you you knew him and it, it he was always just happy to see this music being perpetuated for another generation. You right, know, right. And, and they're just happy that somebody cared. You know, and and, right. and listened. You know, totally agree. And and on that too, also they knew who they were with us. Yeah. Like B.B. King knew the power that he had. Yeah. He was always a gentleman. You know what I mean? He was B.B. Yeah. King, not like he's he's Bootsy Collins, who I love, 24 hours a day. But yeah. He's B.B. Like King, and he knows the powers, like, you know, because we're in awe of him. He represents this iconic music history, and obviously yeah. we're music nerds. Yeah. I remember, I, I know you play, you got to play with him. I played open shows for him probably about eight times in my career. Right. Uh, um, and one time I literally got to take a photo with him. And so right. he goes, Here. you know, I, I sat in with him at one of the blues awards show. He right. came out and sat in with us. Anyhow, here's the backstage story is he goes, uh, can we take a picture with you? He goes, sure, man. And he's sitting in a chair and he looks up at me and he goes, you come down here. So I squatted down next to him. Right. He goes, grab my hand. Right. And he grabbed my hand and put it on his leg and, you know, put it on his knee. And we took this picture and the picture took me, I'm sitting there holding back tears. Right. And I'm going, you know, <laughs> whatever, yeah. you know, it's just like, he knows, you know, Hey, you know, it's B.B. King, for Christ's sake, you know, and he knows it. It's just like that stuff. They know Buddy Guy is so charismatic. He's so yeah. just he smiles and the and the room opens up, you know, and, and you know, I, I saw him in the in the early in the late 60s, not early 60s, late 60s. And my brother and sister went to see him at a place called uh, uh, was, I can't remember. It was an old bowling alley. Right. He was there with, with I, I couldn't see it, but they were advertising. I mean, check it out Fred Bilo and Jack Myers right. and Buddy Guy as yeah. a trio in Eugene, Oregon. Right. Yeah, exactly. Same thing, you, you know, it's just like just doing, they did advertising. And I never, Hi, this is, this is Fred Bilo. Come and hear me sing Route 66. Yeah, right. You know, it's just... And it, well, that was the thing that like the, the back in those days, you used to get those great bills, you know, like, I, you know, like if you look at an old Fillmore poster, it's like Moby Grape with <laughs> Albert King and, you know, some, yeah. you know, the who, you know, and you're right. like, 
everybody went out and played a half hour and then that was it you know it's like but it, you know the music of it you know like it, it all worked you know it yeah. all worked you know yeah tell just... me about tell me about like when you first started gigging and and how did you find that voice? I mean, because you have one of the great blues voices, in, in my opinion, of all time. I mean, and it and it gets better. I mean, I just listened to your whole your new album. I go, you, how does he? You're get not better? you're not chopped liver, son. I'm telling no, but you, you. You know, but, so but, I appreciate that. I'm honored. Coming yeah. from you is an honor. And, and uh, I have a theory. Okay, the great singers. You came up. You you. You started playing in clubs. There wasn't great monitors. And you had to kind of deal with whatever you had. You had a microphone. Maybe you had one side of a PA. But all those all those people that, that came up like that have a great pitch center. And you, right. could, you could sing the phone book. You can sing anything. And it sounds great because of what you had to do, you know, to, to just like survive the night. It's like, I couldn't hear myself. It was all distorted or whatever. The monitors weren't even working. Do you think that helped develop, you know, this, this, this power and the richness in your voice? That's the best question I've ever been asked. It's something that I, I say to people who uh, I'm trying to boost them along and help them. There's a friend of mine who's, who sings out of pitch. And I said, the first thing you got to do is sing in pitch. It, right. That is so it. People, yeah. and people, uh, general public, don't realize what it is that's happening sonically. So right. to answer your question, yeah, and being in pitch is it. You know, if you didn't sing like Sam Cooke or O.V. Wright and play harmonica like George Harmonica Smith and Little Walter really play it like Little Walter. I wasn't interested. And then yeah. I realized that songwriting and and you start listening, you listen to Bob Dylan, you know, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. But he's in pitch. If yeah. he if he was flat or sharp or in whatever, people they don't really know what that is. But he works, first of all, first and foremost, because he's in pitch. Right. How about Leonard Cohen? He doesn't have a great voice. Bob Dylan doesn't. <clears throat> but they're in the pocket. Yeah. And the human mind goes, yeah, that feels good. Yeah. You know, don't you think? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the great you're things. You're very pitch. You, you, I, because you're a guitar player and whatever, but you are dead in the pocket, man. I, I try to be. I, I have sharp tendencies, but that's just because I play too damn loud. You know, I, one of the things... If, when I went down the whole Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters rabbit hole, because we did a we did a series of concerts that ended up at Red Rocks, um, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, what did I sign up for? Singing Howlin' Wolf, singing Muddy Waters. I I, I can't do that. I'm not going to do a shitty imitation of that. I'm just going to do my versions of these songs. What I did notice going down that whole catalog was a lot of the times, the thing that was the most in tune on the record was the singing. The guitars were wacky. Piano right. needed a tune. They weren't hiring a, a, a you know an IATSE piano tuner. The bass was kind of weird, but the harmonica, if it was in you know Wolf's case, and his voice, that was the pitch center. That's the pitch center. And and you're like, okay, the harmonica will capitulates in tune because in theory, right. you know, it, they come out of the box in tune, but the voice was in tune. And I was like, man, that is just such a. 
such a skill that isn't isn't I guess I don't know celebrated these days because now everything could be manipulated and and oh man are you tired of the the auto voice thing which yeah. the guy invented it didn't mean for that to happen but it's on everybody's voice Kanye yeah. West cannot sing he's a great producer but he can't yeah. sing at all and it's you know um that's I hope you could edit that out I'm sure he's a nice guy I just like you know this whole thing it's it, God, I'm tired of it there's no soul to it you know like I said you know, a gospel preacher, for instance, um, I say, go listen to a, they have, and I've never, I love the term pitch center. So I'm going to steal that from you. So they have a pitch center and there's a guy playing the piano and the preacher's going, and I know you folks are here today. Uh, can you say praise to Jesus? Jesus, thank you so much. And the piano's going, and I know that everybody here today is going to have to do something. He's talking in pitch. Right. And they, he's talking in a pitch center. Yeah. And so when you hear those old soul records, of like, yeah, I'm Marquet, and I'm an Aquarian, and I'm so-and-so, and I'm a Capricorn, they're right. talking in pitch. Right. And I started to notice that even... When somebody's doing one of the, when I woke up, this it's in pitch, even talking in pitch. Yeah. And if you don't, it sounds like crap, you it, know, it, 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 it gets off the rails, you know? And yes. Yes. I, 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 one of the few things I, I, if, if any young musician ever asked me like the, the, what's the ticket it, it, and like, if I'm in a preaching mood, I go, listen, you know, you, you're talking to someone who put in 10,000 hours and is also halfway through their second set of 10,000 hours and on his 4,000 <laughs> gig, you know, you do not, you do not, you cannot learn it from YouTube. You cannot learn it properly by, by, by studying a book. You have to actually just go out there and make mistakes and 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 go okay i'm playing with musicians that are kicking my ass and that are better than me i better raise up my game or else i'm just going to get run out and no, nobody's going to call me back to do these gigs you know right. and to have that to have that level of of musicianship around you and you know like we're you know in, in in a live sense is is invaluable to your development i mean because it just everybody has a baseline of of skill makes the band sound better you know right yes and uh you're knocking me out this is fun I, I, we should have <laughs> talked a long time ago i know i know this is, this um, is nerdville <laughs> i get this it is nerdville. i think one of, the, one of the greatest things um is and it's it's been known a lot for a long time that that your persona your act was what John Belushi based his character in the Blues Brothers. And you knew him. You knew him really well. You met him in the, the 70s. And, yeah. and 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 you kind of introduced the guy from Chicago to the his own music, basically. You know, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. That's that's true. Um, I got I'm gonna be honest with you, you know, the Blues Brothers is something that came from the mind of Dan Aykroyd. Right. When I met, if you want to hear the story, yeah. I, I, it's, I've told it since the moment it happened. First of all, I didn't know who he was. I was living with Richard Cousins. Right. And, and we were running partners. Robert moved to, and Robert's involved in this story a little bit, and Richard. Robert moved from Tacoma, Washington to Eugene, Oregon. Right. And uh, a couple of college co-eds found those two brothers. And uh, when I met him, they were staying at their girlfriend's house. Right. And... Uh, 
I, uh, we became friends, blah, blah, blah. And we had the same record collection and stuff. Howard Tate. Yeah. One of them, you know, that one with the mile high pompadour, ain't nobody home, all that stuff. Man, it's like, you got this. And, and Richard called them Leo Maddox. You got the Leo Maddox record. I'm going, who's Leo Maddox? It's Howard Tate, man. We call him Leo Maddox, you know? So, uh, so we became close friends and, Eventually, Robert and I are, I mean, sorry, so sorry, Joe. Richard and I are living together, and um, all we have is a stereo. We do not have a television set. We do not know what Saturday Night Live is. Right. One day, Richard comes up to me, and here's the story. He goes, I guess Robert's got a part in a movie. And I go, really? I'm sitting on the couch, and, and he's going, yeah, I guess I'm too light-skinned. I can't get it, but uh, so-and-so's in it, and he named off... Portland and Eugene musicians because the band that plays in Animal House are all true musicians. Right. That except for the lead singer, the guy I can't remember his name who played Otis Day of Otis Day and the Knights. So yeah. the Knights are Robert on bass, a guy named Robert Bailey on keyboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the drummer is a guy named Ronnie Steen, who's a jazz drummer, and the guitar player is a guy named Tommy Smith. Mm-hmm. And Tommy was into folk music. Robert is Robert Cray. Right. Robert Bailey is a 700 club star. Sings like God. No kidding. I mean, right. at the level of those guys, you right. know. And uh, and Ronnie Steen is still. I know Ronnie, and he's here in Portland playing you know jazz you know right so and that's the band okay away from that now back to the story i thought that'd be interesting (laughs) so uh richard goes yeah there's a movie being made and i go oh really wow robert got a part in a movie huh end of story two weeks later we have put up a gig and we had you know how we are it's just like we got to pay rent and feed ourselves and so we're scrambling for gigs I'm in a band called the Nighthawks. Robert has the Robert Cray band. But on off nights, since I live with Richard, we get with Robert and find a drummer, maybe ours or somebody else or something, and we'd go somewhere and do a gig. Maybe, you know, I mean, at a smaller club. We used to play a strip club. We used to play down on the coast, you know, and we called ourselves the Crayhawks. So that's important. (laughs) So we're the Crayhawks, named by Richard Cousins. So we got a gig on Monday nights at the Eugene Hotel. Monday nights. And then we thought, let's put together an R&B review. It'll be both bands. And then let's learn a handful of songs to add to the third set that we don't usually play in each other's act. Right. And so we'd learn like uh, Boogaloo Down Broadway. And we learned It's Your Thing. And we did some Sam and Dave, you know, Soul Man, this kind of stuff. And this is what happened. We do this gig and we have Monday. So both of these gigs, Monday and a Saturday. Robert's got film work to do. I don't even know this. I just know that Robert Cray is opening up for us on Friday and we are following. And then and on Saturday, I'm opening up and Robert's following us. Right. So it's Saturday night and I'm up on stage. I'm in the middle of a song. And a guy comes up and yanks on my leg, pant leg. He goes, hey, Curtis, Bellucci wants to meet you. And I'm in the middle of a song. Have you ever in your life, I know, like, you know, hey, Joe. And you're like playing away and he's going, come here. Right, right. Yeah. 
Can you see what I'm doing here? Right, right. You know, I can't oh, multitask oh. that much. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy, I know who he is. He's a cocaine dealer. And just for a little joke, right. there's a great bartender in Eugene at this time. His name is Dick Bronca, and he's mm -hmm. huge, but he's yeah. very, very popular. And he's a fan and friend of the Robert Cray Nighthawk of our circle. Yeah. And then this guy is about five feet one, and his name is Richard, too. So we call Dick Big Dick. Right. And Richard Little Dick. Right. So Little Dick comes up and goes, Curtis, Bellucci wants to meet you. And I'm looking at him like he's speaking a foreign language. He's yeah. an alien. And then I tell him in on words I won't use to buzz off. Right. right. And then he does it again. And I buzz off and he's looking at me like, ah, whatever. And then I jump off the stage. I go over to a group of girls, Debbie Stenson and Debbie Buck. And they're right. standing over there and I'm heading in their direction. He grabs me by the arm. He turns me around and goes, Bellucci. Right. And I go, okay, okay. Hello. And this guy walks up and he's about five, 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 six, uh -huh. stocky. Yeah. And that's my, I can still picture it. And he comes up and we shake hands. So if we're shaking hands, I go like, yeah, yeah. hot, you know. Yeah. He goes, I really like what you're doing. Thank you very much. Yeah, you remind me of a friend of mine. His name is Dan Aykroyd. You kind of favor him. He plays harmonica too. And I think, who gives a poop? Right, right, right. Every hippie in town plays harmonica. Right. I know, you know. So I remember, literally, I remember turning my head thinking, who gives a poop? Every, you know, I said, oh, that's great. He goes, yeah, yeah. I I'm with the movie that's in town. My first words hearing that was like, Oh, Robert's in that movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And this is Bellucci. I'm going, Robert goes, he goes, I saw Robert today. He taught us how to dance. Right. I go, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, because we used to do the, you know, kick, step, 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 turn, you know, yeah. get going, the temptation walk, you know, and, yeah. you know. So I go, oh, yeah. And I'm kind of thinking, we talk about the band. That's why I brought it up. You know, did you see Tommy? You know, Tommy was like this folk singer guy, blah, blah, blah. We talked. And then, Bellucci goes, well, you know, I'm with this movie, man. And he realizes I don't know who he is. And he goes, I am in this variety show. He never said Saturday Night Live. He just yeah. goes, I'm in this variety show. And on, I have to fly from New York to Portland. From Portland, drive down here to Eugene to do this movie. And then right. tomorrow night, I mean, tomorrow, which will be Sunday, I have to go back do the same thing backwards. He didn't say that though. But, right. And then I got to go back to Portland and then catch a plane to go back to New York because on Monday we're doing another show and I'm super excited about it. And he goes, we're doing a show with Ray Charles. Right. And I go, what? Right. What? Ray Charles. And the first words I said was, you got to ask him about Guitar Slim. He goes, who's yeah. Guitar Slim? You don't know Guitar Slim? Are you kidding me? Ray Charles plays piano on it. 1953 is the biggest hit going. I mean, it's like one of the biggest hits. It was like, like I don't know, 38 weeks on the charts or something. Yeah. I used to know the statistics here. And he's playing piano on it. He ran the session. Da, 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 da. And I said, did you know he plays alto saxophone? He goes, Ray Charles plays alto saxophone? I said, yeah, man, it's on Atlantic Records, 1958. Hot Rod is the name of it, live in Newport, Ray Charles. He yeah. plays saxophone. Yeah. And he kills it, right? Yeah. And he says to me, let's go smoke a joint. Right. So we're in this hotel. 
I don't know how he has a room or maybe it's a, a little, I don't, I just remember him and we smoke a joint and we talk. And then four days later, about four or five day, days later, I don't remember me giving his phone number, but he found me and right. he found, you know, Richard didn't get, yeah. and he calls me up and says, Judy is cooking dinner. Why don't you come on over and bring your records? And that's right. what started it. Wow. Eventually, he calls me up as we became friends. And, and you were saying we were, re that's when I met him. And that was 1977. Right. And he was doing Animal House. When he left town after that movie, several other important kind of things happened to me. It's, first of all, I want to tell you, because you understand this. Yeah. We're excited about this music. And you are promoting this great music. And you're the same as, it's just like, I want people to know who these people are. I didn't Absolutely. care about Bellucci's and his acting. I had no idea he was a, he was a, the biggest name in comedy. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and I had no idea. I didn't care, except that he cared about this music and about what I do, and I just laid it on him, man. I brought him, Little Walter, I brought him, you know, the song I Don't Know, you know, yeah. by uh, um, was Willie Maven. You know, uh, getting sick and tired of the way you do. Good kind papa gonna poison you. Sprinkle goof of dust all around your bed. Wake up one of these mornings, find your own self dead. She said, you shouldn't say that. And I put this little this little thing in it. It's like, and she said, uh, and I said, baby, uh, are you gonna make like a camel and walk a mile or make like Chesterfield and satisfy? And right. she said, it depends on what you're cooking, regular or king size. So I whipped out my Jim Beam and it was as hard as a Canadian club. And I gave her a shot of cream in Kentucky, and that created the Wilkinson family. Right. And I got this from a comedy record, right. Skillet and Leroy, and I infused it into that song. He calls me up and goes, what's that bit of business that you were doing? Because he'd come and see us play, and he remembered it. Right. And so I told him that, and he goes, I can't use the last part. But he put that in the record. Right. And we were doing, and I'm sure Steve Cropper, I've seen him on this, and you know, he's Steve Cropper. I'm not going to argue with it, but he watched us do Soul Man and he watched us do uh, Groove Me by King Floyd. I have right. the 45 right. right over there. Right. And so uh, I don't know Groove Me. I have a, a, I have a tape of him. I'm so sorry. I have a tape of him right. uh, singing, sitting with us doing right. uh, Sweet Home Chicago. Right. John Bellucci sitting with the Nighthawks when he's making the movie with us. He would yeah. come and see us all the time. Another thing he did was he called me up and uh, said, I'm going to say your name on Saturday Night Live. Really? And so it should be on YouTube. Right. And uh, it's, it is a Paul Schaefer doing an, an imitation of, of Don Kirshner. And That's he right. Goes, That's right. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, thanks to the Cray, thanks to Curtis Salgado and the Cray band. Mm. Here he is. Well, let me tell you how that went down. When I gave him that bit of business, mm. I had quit the Nighthawks because they didn't want to do the road. Right. You know, they just wanted to be weekend warriors. And, and Robert and Richard asked me to join. So I joined. And this is all right at the same crossroads of the Blues Brothers, or not the Blues Brothers, but Animal House. This, 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 I hope this isn't too long. No, this is great. Okay, so all this stuff is going on at the same time. 
Animal House leaves right at the same time. My band doesn't really want to do the road. I end up joining Robert Cray. Bellucci calls up our rehearsal. I'm somewhere in Eugene at the piano player's house, and I go, how'd you find the number? He goes, I have my ways. You know, right. <laughs> I, I, it turns out that he was asking the casting director, whose name is Catherine Wilson, who, you know, I didn't even realize she was the cat. I just, I knew her, but I didn't know what she did. So anyhow, he goes, I gave him that bit of business and he goes, I'm going to say your name on Saturday Night Live. We're going to say the show to you. And uh, I go, really? Well, I'm in the Robert Cray band. And he goes, I'm not into Robert, man. I'm into you. Right. And uh, which was, you know, I could, okay, right. but you know, can't you say something about him? Yeah. He'll go, we'll see. And so there. I could add more to the story if you don't mind. Oh this, sure, I'd like. This is like you know the thing is about hitting you know, too much. I'm Kathy. I'm, I'm no, Kathy. This know. is this is great because how many times have we watched the Blues Brothers? And right. to me, it's one of the most it's one of the most entertaining kind of music docs of all time. It's that and Spinal Tap, and, yeah. and it's so perfectly done. And <laughs> yeah. and and I asked Schaefer about that because I know he was. He, Paul's been a friend and he's on the show. And I, I said, like, you know, and it turned out like he wasn't in the Blues Brothers movie because he was working with Gilda Radner on a record. Right. And I think, you know, then it then it became what it was. But the whole backstory about the character, it's like you, you always wonder, like, how these guys authentically did that. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's, it, yeah, it started off as a bit on the show, but it it's it's authentic it's it, it, yeah. it's very well done and i'm like it had to have come from a, a, a there had to have been an impetus or a host and it's right. you well for bellucci it is yeah it, it turns out that uh where was i going with with my uh, that was perfect by the way and uh i met paul schaefer at a blues brothers concert yeah um where I was going this, he said, I'm going to do this. So, oh, yeah. So it's Paul Schaefer and he's doing Don Kirshner. And sure enough, and he goes, you know, uh, we want to dedicate this and say, uh, thank, no, thanks to Curtis Salgado here and the Cray Band. Right. Thanks to Curtis Salgado and the Cray Band, here are the the Blues Brothers. Right. And uh, before that, though, they did their little B outfit thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. They were doing that, soul tunes in the B in the B. Yeah, I think I think so. But I mean, it was directly him sitting there watching us because here's what he told me. I'm having dinner with him and Judy Jacklin. They put him in a house in Eugene during the filming and he walks by me on my left side and shows me his either left hand or whatever and he goes, "What do you think of this?" And it says Jake. And I'm like, well, you know, what I'm thinking, what am I supposed to think? He goes, yeah, yeah, we're coming up with a character. And he told me right then what was going to happen. Right. And uh, um, he didn't say we're going to do this. He goes, we're going to do a skit and we're going to call ourselves the Blues Brothers, my friend Dan Aykroyd and myself. And, and then he said, you know, Aykroyd's been trying to get me into the blues and I'm not into it. Right. A side note, I remember being at Judy Jacklin and John's the house that they're staying at having dinner and i looked down on the stereo console that was there one of those yeah. consoles yeah blue oyster colt was <laughs> on the turntable yeah and so he's really into rock and roll it really into you know ac dc and rock and roll, as right. i am as well so he uh he you know sits down he goes 
you know, Ackroyd is really into Dan. Dan, I haven't, I don't, I haven't met him yet. He goes, Dan has really been trying to get me in the blues, and I haven't done it. And that I've seen you, and so I'm his muse. That's where I'm going. Right, right, right. And I had no idea it would blow up like it did. And I give credit always where credit is due. That's how I'm built. It's yeah. just like I'm excited about this music. I'm excited about people who make this music and stretch the boundaries. I'm excited about music. And I want to know the people to know who these amazing artists are. Black, white, the people that play with sincere soul and yeah. meaningful, great songwriting, singing, this and that, you know. And so that's that's who I am. And he said, Ackroyd. Now, Ackroyd is into a band called, and you may have heard called the Down Child Blues Band. Yeah, and one of the songs on the record, which is called, uh, it's either Shotgun Blues or um, I, I Got Everything I Need Almost. Right. That's by the band uh and they're called uh, did i just say their name um the, the down child blues yeah, band right. yeah Duh. so the down child blues band they're from toronto canada that's where that's where dan's from yeah schaefer right. marty short all they, they they were they were expats they came in perfect yeah so he loves the down child blues band and it's like a five six piece band and Two of the members are brothers. Mm -hmm. Right. Ta -da. Ta -da. So he had this whole idea and he tells me this and I'm like, wow, okay. And I don't realize where it's going to go. They do this skit, they, you know, whatever they come out. It made such an impression. They made the record. It sold two or 3 million. It right. blew up. Yeah. And on that record, this to end this story is a great blues story. I used to play with Floyd Dixon. He lives in Oakland. Right. And um, Floyd was a very eccentric piano player on the caliber of Ray Charles and Charles Brown. You know, they do that kind of, and Nat King Cole. Right. Do you remember, you know? And he yeah. was making records since the, after the war, since like 48, 47, 48, right? And so Floyd Dixon is incredible, man. He's, he's not just a boogie-woogie, you know barrel yeah, house right. he knows music yeah. you know and uh so we would hang out with him and stuff and bellucci go back to the hotel during the movie now we're running backwards now um this is before when he's making animal house bellucci wants to sit in with the band the crayhawks right remember them so we're in the, yeah. so yeah. he goes hey i want to sit in I go, what do you, he goes, yeah, let's do Jailhouse Rock. I said, no, that's corny. That's corny. Right, right, right. do Jailhouse Rock. Right. Well, let's do Johnny Be Good. I said, everybody and their dog does Johnny Be Good. No, right. I'll tell you what, I'll bring you a song. And so I brought him Hey Bartender. Mm -hmm. right. And so I, the following Monday, everybody's there. And, and Joe, you got to understand, man, I don't know who this guy is. And the place is packed. It's been, yeah, the, the words around that he's hanging the words out. Yeah. Around, thank you. Yeah. And the words around and it's packed. And I'm going, you know, damn, you know, it's like it's because the movie's in town. And uh, Doug Kenny is like, you know, the guy who invented National Lampoon, one of the heavyweights. Yeah. You know? yeah. So anyhow, I go, look, we're going to do a set. And at the end of the set, I'll call you up. I've okay. never seen him. And it's still going to be a year before I actually see them until, you know. Right. And... Um, 
So it goes, I'll I ask you up. So I go, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of the night with one more song to go here and then we take a break. But let's bring a friend of ours up here. If you please welcome John Bellucci and the audience goes ape. Right. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? Right. So he gets up and uh, he gets up and I'm standing there. I'm going to blow hard. And we count it off. And went balling the other night got drunk and i got real tight right yeah. and half call for hey bartender and we're going and i'm blowing harmonica sitting there watching him and they're going ape shit except for one thing excuse my language right. but for one thing he's going went balling the other night got drunk and i got real tight and i'm going what the yeah, yeah. is going and they're going ah, like this and i'm i'm mad i'm pissed off right like one of these you what where do i fit into this yeah, this right. is what it takes and that's what you guys do because right. i got robert cray over there you yeah know? right <laughs> so and this has it and then go ape and i'm thinking you know and he does so we get off stage and he comes up to me and he goes I, is, are we running out of time? No, we're fine. We're fine. Okay, good. So I jump off stage, and I'm kind of disgusted. I'm gonna. I'm kind of like, God, what is going on? What, what's the meaning of life? You know. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, he goes, Hey, Kurt, what'd you think? And I turn around and I go, Was that, was that Joe Cocker? He goes, right. Yeah, dude, I do Joe Cocker do an imitation in that show I was telling you about. He still hasn't said like I right. on Saturday night. I never remember him saying that because I, I I do. Joe Cocker. And I said to him, and this is the only advice I gave him besides bringing and going, this is cool. Yeah. He goes, uh, I, I do, man, in, in that show I do. I said, you know what? So you're John Bellucci and you're singing a Floyd Dixon song like Joe Cocker. And I said, <laughs> you're going to do this music. And I tapped his chest, you know, really like, if you're going to yeah. do this music, you got to come from your heart. It's right. got to be from your heart. You got to be sincere about this stuff. Yeah. And this is what he did. He goes, yeah, you're right. That was it. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And I had no idea. And then when I saw him scoot, this is going to turn into something else. You'll love it. But years later, when I saw him, like two, three years later, he's in Concord Pavilion. I went and saw him. I was a guest. Right. And uh, they were incredible. I mean, he can't sing. He but can't, he can't, yeah. but you know what? And she, and Dacroyd's no Ackroyd is no harmonica player, and you know, but they both put on a hell of a show. They were the a great frontman team. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't, you know, they weren't Sam Cook or Johnny Taylor or this, no. or this, you know. But oh my God, I mean, he he did a ballad where the light came into a pinpoint just on him, and he had a hat on. Well, of course he had a hat. He's the Blues yeah. Brother thing, and. uh you know, it, it was quite moving. He did some ballad. To go back another years later, mm -hmm. uh, by this point, I'm clean and sober. You know, I, I quit in 88. And uh, I'm clean and sober. And I'm at the Chicago Blues Festival. And I'm playing the small stage. And on the big stage, this girl shows up on a golf cart and says, Floyd Dixon wants to meet you. Wow. Dixon's here? He goes, yeah, he wants to talk to you. So I get in the golf cart and they take me to the main stage. And, and he goes, Curtis, man, God, it's good to see you. I want to thank you. 
you gave me the biggest royalty check I've ever had. In my life. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, it choked me up. I'm yeah. like, this is yeah. my hero. This says this guy is on an incredible history. I won't waste your time, but I could. And I, I was just like, my God, he goes, well, thank you. He goes, man, you know, that's the most money I've ever made in a royalty check. And I go, well, if you don't mind me asking, how much did you make? And he goes, my first check was for $78,000. Right. And I'm just sitting there stunned going, what? Yeah. You know, yeah. I caused this. Yeah. And he's thanking me. And it's Floyd Dixon, who is my hero, times right. 10 to the power of Kimbo. I can't, you know. And I'm just sitting there going, well, what'd you do with it? <laughs> <laughs> He looks off into the distance. He takes off his shades and goes, oh, baby, I spent it all on the horses. All I had a wonderful time. That's I mean, that's, that's the blues. Now, that's the blues, right? Am I, that's totally the blues. And am I correct? And in, in, in when I say this, the blues on the Blues Brothers record, they thanked you on the back cover. It's dedicated to Curtis Salgado. That's right. That's and uh, Cab Calloway plays Curtis in the movie. Okay, gotcha. And, and I talked to the guy who wrote the liner notes, and at free, I go, you know, Belushi said this is named, you know, I go, is Curtis my, and the guy goes, no, it isn't at all. And then he kind of laughed, and but he didn't say, yeah, yes, it is. And I never thought it was after he kind of did this, right. like, no, you idiot, you know. And years later, Dan Aykroyd came to see me, and he got up on stage, he goes, can I introduce you? And he came out and this was in Canada, yeah. in Toronto, actually, at a festival. And I guess he was making a documentary because he even had a camera crew. But he came out. I didn't tell the band. He said, he's standing there next. He goes, let me introduce you. And the, right. I have the band play a slow blues. And then I come out and the show starts. Right. And Ackroyd came out and said, this is who Cab Calloway was. This is the, and he did one of those, you know, Ackroyd can go like yeah spew off a whole bunch of statistics and stuff right. yeah <laughs> and seeing blues and he just had this whole bit i'm sure he did it at the top of his head but yeah. that was a big moment to me when things started to come all the way around because yeah. now it has come around um you know judy jacqueline has a sister that lives here in portland uh we stay in touch jim bellucci now lives down the street right. from you know in oregon and i've met him a couple of times and uh uh, Dan Aykroyd, I went to stand in a long line with him to see him because he was selling his his uh, crystal vodka stuff. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and there's a line around the block to meet him. And I stood in line for like two hours. And when I got into the liquor store, he looks over and sees me out of all these people and goes, get your ass up here. And meant a lot to me. He goes, what yeah. are you doing? I'm going in line to see you. He goes, come on. You know, so right. that was very, very sweet. Very nice. They're class acts, man. They're class acts. And, um, you know, I learned something from Paul Schaefer. I mean, I got, there's a moment where I'm in the dressing room this, uh, of the Blues Brothers band. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's a super band, and uh, and Paul Schaefer was very nice, and he, and he knew what I meant to John and how I played a part in this. Yeah. And he goes, Curtis, you know, amateurs copy, professionals steal. <laughs> that sounds like Paul. <laughs> yeah. So, so he kind of 
kind of woke me up. So, you know, one of the things, like, um, before we wrap up, I want, I want to, I want to talk to you about your new album, but most importantly, like what we were talking about. It's like there's, there's the masters that made great records, and then there's some people that maybe are not as good as the masters, but have this, this, this X factor, the star time, you know, and it's truly the greats that that have both it's like you know it's like bb king walked on stage he all he had to do was smile and acknowledge the crowd he got a standing ovation same thing with buddy guy yeah he he could just turn around and walk off and be like that's the show you know right right. (laughs) that's true you know and 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 it's like you know what advice would you give you know uh, a, a singer songwriter musician who wants to get in the blues or wants to get into just performing. What what's like your you know what's your what's more important to 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 sit there and analyze every single note you do, or is it to be a, a, an entertainer? I think involve yourself into all points of entertainment. Learn right. as much nowadays. You know, since somebody, uh, I can only, uh, you know, Prince raised the bar. I'm a right. huge Prince fan. You know, I like everything from Rage Against the Machine to Buckethead to, you know, I mean, you, you know, like masterful. And you you have done showbiz. You get it. You put together an orchestra. There's only like Brian Setzer that does that now or maybe you and stuff. The material, it is a show. You hired a top band. I know. How do you get this person X to that level? And yeah. you've already said it, but yeah. you know every part of show business, which makes me ad- admire you. I've already heard your stuff. You, Tom Dowd is producing you. Well, he saw something because you don't screw around with Tom Dowd. That's Tom Dowd. And I was it's- very lucky to work with him. You know, yeah. and I, I always say to people because, like, now it's like it, it, everybody's. You know, it's, you're always a comparison of like well, who's better, who's this, and it's like it, it, you know, it's the blue sewing circle of of people that just chat 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 and i said listen we can figure that out after i get done entertaining the people because that's one of the things that you do and 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 i and i learned from guys that 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 had this thing where it you know their their sound when they would play you could hear them and be like oh my god there's something happening i don't know what's happening but it's happening you know right right johnny winner there's an albino kid from from you know from Beaumont, Texas. He got up there and played with bad intentions, you know. Yeah, yeah. And 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 made himself, you know, heard. And it, it, it's just it's just one of those it's just one of those things that it, it I think it gets lost in in modern times. What it really took to stand on stage at a club, and without the without social media, without anything else, wow them and get them to tell their friends so more people would come. You know, it's. It, That creates you. That yeah, and and, you know I'm into you're into show business, but at all levels. Like for instance, the term I'm just coming off the top of my head. The term walking into the applause. You walk into the applause. Right. I saw an artist I won't name names, but he's like one of the new greats out there, and uh, he talks when the audience is still applauding. I can't hear a word he's saying. Right. (laughs) And he's introducing the band. So he introduces Joe uh, Bonanmasa. He says, Joe Bonanmasa on, on uh, uh, hope I said it right. It's fine. Uh, my last name Salgado has All been, right, yeah. so I'm sorry. We, we, we know the same pain, yeah. <laughs> 
That was beautiful. So, so please, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for this person, this guy says. And everybody goes, yay. And in the middle of them going, yay, for him, he says the next person. Right. You know, and when the audience, when the applause down is done, it's comic timing. That's it's why when you watch a sitcom, somebody lays a joke out and the audience laughs. They don't speak their ne next line. So right. you're up on a stage and, and I'm watching the, you know, this guy's a hell of a guitar player, but he doesn't have any thing with the audience doesn't care. It's a killer band, killer yeah. guitar player, whatever. But I can't hear a thing that he's saying about himself, who the song is. He doesn't really, when he introduces the band, he plays music. He doesn't, he doesn't have an interaction. I think there's more. Have you ever seen Bonnie Raitt, for instance? Yes. You know, she's got a rapport. She she picks up somebody. Every town she goes to, she'll find an artist to sit in with her. That's one of the locals, yeah. i.e. me or Lloyd Jones or, you know, somebody, another town. She has a political thing she'll say. She'll figure out a great restaurant maybe or something. Right. She brings a rapport to, makes part of the show. And, I mean, that's show business. That is from vaudeville to certain to um you know minstrel tents to da, 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 all of that stuff it's show business and i'm really into show business and you are too so i mean i'm just like going i mean i wish i could forward in an orchestra that yeah. would be one if it's, can i sit in with you sometime I'll, I'll, with I'll, I, I would be honored i'd be honored would you play guitar behind me we'll rip it up because i would that would be a that would be a uh, bucket list moment for me. Anyhow, I, I would be honest. Yeah. I remember my parents went to see Jerry Seinfeld at the Stanley <laughs> Theater in Utica, New York. Right. And they, they, I asked him, he's like, how was the show? And it was like, Jerry's, he was so hilarious. And like, he was like, we couldn't believe he did like 20 minutes on the town. Meaning like he had researched or had walked around and it did 20 minutes. And, and he goes, it meant so much to like Jerry Seinfeld knows who we are in Utica, New York. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole, there's a whole method to that because I walk around every city we go to, unless it's two degrees or raining, I will walk around or I've been there a bunch and I try to find something local to, to just show the folks that I'm, I'm, I'm actually cognizant of the fact that I'm in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, right, yeah, right. It's not, it's not just perfect. It's not just it's not just oh, it's just another night because it does roll over and you're like five nights a week. You're like, oh, my God, I, you know, five, yeah. you know, five, five nights, you know, five shows per week. You're like, uh, where the hell are we today? And then you just kind of shake it off and stuff like that. Right, right. Or have or put a little note. But you're so on. In other words, you did the research. Yeah. And you also did the research. You got a band. You also hire the right musicians. You have a musician in your band, Kurt Fletcher. You know, yeah. I remember meeting Kurt a long time ago when he was with a guy named Linwood Slim. It was yeah. on to him, right? And I wanted him in my band. Yeah. And uh, we never hooked up. He even at one point said, I'm not working. I said, now I got a guitar player. But when I saw him with you, it was a big grin on my face. He said, yes. I said, I knew by this time he was doing... He found some Italian pop star to sing with. But I was so, you know, I, I you're an excellent musician. And uh, this isn't like, uh, you know, we yeah. sound like a couple of old Jewish comedians. Oh, yeah. But I, I mean, it's like, you know, it's class, man. It's 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 showbiz.
Yes, Joe, tell, tell me about your your new record, Damage Control. I read that you did it in two different locations. You did some in Tennessee, California, with three different bands. Yeah, uh, you're right. Two different, three different, locations. three different versions right. of of the of the group. Yes, uh, I took some with me down to Cal California. Is one of the locations, and one was San Jose with Kid Anderson in his Greaseland Studios. Oh, it's great! Yeah, and then uh, Johnny Lichel's studio called Ultratone, mm -hmm. and that's where Taj Mahal does his stuff. That, that does his stuff. Uh, an Otis Re Otis Rush record that was great out of there. Jerry Lee Lewis. Da 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 da. Uh, um, he's got a garage studio. Yeah, uh, that's really nice. And you know what's really cool about it is you can go there and you don't need headphones to sing. The right. band sits there and hears it. Headphones make me, you know, yeah. I have to put one like this so I can hear this. But I don't know when you're captured like that. I'll sing out of pitch because I got it too loud. Anyhow, yeah. That and then the other one was Rock House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, with a guy named Kevin McHenry. Oh, and yeah. I love Kevin. He plays with us on occasion when he subs for Reese, and he's like one of the best. I love uh, him. Yeah. So Kevin McKendry has got um oh, there's this drummer man. His name is Jack Bruno. Mm -hmm. And Delbert McClinton's band is sharp as attack. And those right. they're just those Nashville guys that just know when to hold them and fold them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh uh Delbert's band is just it's like the Phantom Blues Band, even though they're not a blues band, but Michael Finnegan on keyboards yeah. uh, um, is out of L.A. He's on Jimi Hendrix, uh, Rainy yeah. Day, Rain All Day. Yeah. Um, Johnny Lee Shell is a great guitar player. In terms of like, he just plays the right, they're those guys you show up. Here, I'm getting kind of mixed up. Here's what the, I wrote these songs. I knew what I wanted to make kind of a rock and roll record. Right. And I don't really know. Um, have you ever heard of David Gross, guitar player? Yeah, David? yeah. Guy's really bad. Anyhow, He's really good. yeah. Um, I put together. I knew what songs and I knew what studio I wanted to do. And I did four songs for Nashville. Had four songs picked for uh, Greaseland and four songs picked for Ultratone. Right. And my idea was to make a rock and roll record. Right. I'm really surprised that Alligator took it, and they did. It was uh, which really knocked me out because it's not a blues record. Right. Uh, it's uh, there's a blues song on there, but. Uh, but the blues is all the way through everything, America. Yeah. It's yeah. Everything that we're going to do. So, um, man, the Nashville guys. So you hand these guys the bones mm -hmm. and they put it in the meat and muscle. Right. Absolutely. They're, you know, and you know they're going to do it. So here's how it goes. I might go this and this, but kind of everybody's producing it. I'm producing it. I know what I want. I picked who I want to do, but I'm relying on them to put in the meat and the muscle and the nerves yeah. and the thing. So there's a song on there called uh, The Longer That I Live, The Older I Want to Get. And that's what starts the album off. And basically, I'm writing from a point of a 67-year-old man. Right. You know, I, I can't pretend something I'm not. And, uh, of course, I know you write a lot. And mm -hmm. so you got to, you can't, if you're going to be an interpreter of songs like, say, a Linda Ronstadt or Elvis Presley or, you know, but, but to me, in this day and age or since the Beatles, 
critics and music knowledge knowledgeable people of music yeah. and critics and and the experts yeah <laughs> you got to write you know definitely got to write yeah and and you got to say something you know it's like you know i, I love the title yeah i love that that the, the title uh because i'm a big title guy i love like i look at the record you're gonna miss my sorry ass i if that ain't the blues <laughs> i love that kind of thing and you just made a lot of points you just made a lot of i love that it was, it's yeah, a great yeah. song yeah you yeah know, one of the things I, I, I when, when I read about your new record and I heard it, and I, I love the fact that you did the old fashioned. Um, I'm going to do these songs here. I'm going to do those songs there because you could you could reverse the order, but the stuff that you do in Nashville, the stuff you do in California, everybody has a sound. the The geographical area has a sound. Right. You know? Yes. Yes. You can't, you can't help but just kind of get in that headspace. You're here in Nashville. You're you're surrounded by Kevin and those guys. And then you're in, you know, Kid Anderson's studio. And it's like, okay, well, it, it all takes on the DNA of the town, the the, the locality of, of the music, more so than, you know, if you just built the home studio, you know, and, and made all your records in the same spot. Well, they're going to start flatlining and sounding the same because you're not getting the outside stimulus. Unbelievable. You're... That's how I feel as well. And the other thing is, is you're saying there's this, it's like, like Kid Anderson's studio is this like ranch style, small house right. in the middle of a busy street or on a busy street. Right. And you go in and immediately there's cables and stuff. Uh, 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 Kevin McKendry studio is, is organized and together and stuff. Right. And, and then the people, the musicians that you have and who they are and what kind of energy they put off. This is also what you're saying is yeah. basically, I think it absorbs, it's yeah. in the air. I mean, everything is vibrating. Yeah. Those vibrations are sucked into the digital thing or the analog or, yeah. you know, it's just, and you want to have a good time. So yeah. I'm sitting there and the bass player and is Jerry Jamont. Yeah. And Jerry Jamon is on the Kid Anderson session, right? And I'm looking at Jerry and, and I go, say, Jerry, uh, and he goes, am I playing too much? You want me to play less on that part? And I was like, oh, sure. Because <laughs> it's Jerry Jamon. Right. And, and he knows, you know, it's just like, hey, man, you're playing. But boom, he's a pro, man. He's professional. He's a pro. He could feel it. Hey, man. Yeah, and you am I playing too much? Maybe he thought he was. I don't know, but I sure went, whoa, you know, yeah. thank you for making that comfortable for me. It's like I and I had to go, yeah, you kinda it's kinda like, could you make it less busy? Right. You know, and he's brilliant. And I took him down to LA and uh so he he was just absolutely wonderful and easy to get along with. And you're in a room with somebody who's actually the biggest star in the room. Really, yeah. if you think about everything, Roberta Flack, Donny yeah. Hathaway, Aretha Franklin, that Freddie King Cotillion record. Oh, that's right. Oh, my, you know, Don't, Cotillion Ballroom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My Feeling for the Blues. Yeah. And uh, with King Curtis, that's who discovered him. I mean, I'm sitting there going, oh, this is my, this is <laughs> Yeah. Can, can, you know, so, uh, and then the other thing to follow what you're doing or talking about, is four, three different rhythm sections, because I didn't want to do 12 songs with the same rhythm section. Right. I just thought it would be, I just thought, it, I, you know, everyone is going to 
produce something different, but still be cohesive. Right. And then the other thing, and this is an important one, is, and you know this very well because you're a champion at this, is something to talk about for yeah. the media. Yeah. I learned a long time ago that my manager would say, I, I go, how come I'm not playing such and such blues festival? I mean, God, we played there last year. We kicked a butt because right. we don't have a new record out, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, because the template, which you changed, is two records, one record every two years. Right. As the shelf life is two years. Yeah. And uh, I think your manager and you got together and, and you said, you know, we're putting, and every one of them, it's not overkill. Now, Prince was overkill, but I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like, thousands of songs yeah 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 so what i'm saying is it's like he goes you don't have a record my manager and and they're not going to hire you unless you have something to talk about what do you mean i could show up i got i got 10 records out i got i know a bunch of songs like yeah. i could do an entirely different show yeah but there's nothing to sell yeah and the newspaper wants to write about something or the media and the media is now not just radio and a newspaper. It's magazines, radio, newspaper, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Digital, yeah, blah, blah, all that stuff. And I, I didn't believe it really until one day in Florida, this, uh, I, I, he, I go, how come? He goes, Curtis. No, he's, this guy said, you know, Curtis, man, we loved you here, man. You kicked butt, blah blah blah. Thank you very much. And he goes, I'd like to have you last year, but you're, you know your record has kind of ran its course right and i and i i got it i get it you got to have something to talk about yeah, so the punch, yeah. yeah the punchline is i'm sorry is um the punchline is is that's why i had three different that's the other thing something to talk about it's a, and it and it and it's a great record curtis salgado thank you very much for being here this is is it it's it's let's not make it another 10 years before we converse you're 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 hey. You blew my mind, man. We have never talked. I've always wanted to. I had a million questions, and um, you're you are a class act. I'm very um, thank you. Likewise, you you blow my mind. Well, so please, let's get together. Let's do it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been live from Nerdville. Until next time.